Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner, and today we want to discuss malignant hyperthermia. This will be a shorter episode. We just felt like this topic deserved to have a whole episode by itself. It's something that we rarely see in the operating room, but we need to be adequately prepared for when it does occur, and we need to know the, the steps to prevent it if a patient has a history of malignant hyperthermia. So Tanner, do you want to start us off? Right. So like Cole said, this is something that hopefully we will never see, but is something that we need to be adequately prepared for. If you listen to the last episode where we discuss a neuromuscular junction, that will be helpful for you as uh, we discuss malignant hyperthermia today. So the physiology of how this happens is you have your acetylcholine goes across the synaptic cleft, binds to the nicotinic receptor, causes depolarization. That depolarization goes down the T-tubule and causes the DHP receptor to open the ryanidine receptor, which causes calcium to be released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum and causes the excitation coupling with the actin and myosin. The problem with malignant hyperthermia is that this ryanidine receptor stays open. That causes calcium to continue being released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum. The calcium ATPase cannot keep up with the amount of calcium that is in the cell. And so we have increased calcium, which causes continued contraction of the actin and myosin filaments. Yeah. And so here we have this cycle of the calcium is continually being released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum due to the inability to shut that ranidine receptor. And the process of pumping the calcium back into the sarcoplasmic reticulum via that circa 2 pump or that calcium ATP pump, it, it can't keep up with the amount of calcium being released from the other end of the sarcoplasmic reticulum. So while calcium is continually being released, we're continually using up ATP to try to pump it back into the sarcoplasmic reticulum, which is just open at the other end. So I like to think of it as you're trying to fill a pitcher of water that has a hole in the bottom. And so as you're filling it, it's just constantly leaking out the bottom. And while you're still using energy to continually fill the pitcher of water, you're never going to actually be able to fill it up because it's just dumping out the other end. And that's the picture we see here. And the cell is continually wasting ATP in the hopes to get this calcium concentration lower in the cell by dumping it all back into the sarcoplasmic reticulum. And additionally, yep. we're wasting ATP by constantly having a contraction with that, that myosin and actin, and that ATP is constantly being used to break apart those cross bridges that are formed there. So these patients are going to have a dramatic, dramatic usage of the ATP that's being produced. Perfect. I think when I first started out as a nurse and I heard malignant hyperthermia, this was kind of like a buzzword when you had patients coming back from surgery, something you're supposed to look out for, look out if they spiked a temperature or whatever. I just thought this was just by the name, like I didn't understand it very well. And I just thought these patients were getting a fever that was uncontrolled and because their body temperature was going up so much that, I don't know, bad things would happen. But obviously 
this is related to the muscle contraction and as ATP is used up and as the calcium keeps dumping and causing this muscle contraction, then we have the cascade of effects from there, which the hyperthermia is actually going to be a late sign of this as that metabolism is increased. The things that you'll see early on with these patients, main thing you'll see is an increase in tidal CO2. Uh, which makes sense if you have this type of contraction, you're going to have a ton of CO2 produced. And so your end tidal is going to spike. You'll also see tachycardia, tachypnea, you'll see acidosis, and then also you'll have an early sign of masseter spasm. So you'll see their jaw muscle basically tense up, uh, which is a sign of this malignant hyperthermia. The late sign, you're not going to see the hyperthermia until later. You'll start to see trunk and limb rigidity. And then another late sign would be the myoglobin in the urine. So let's talk about the pathophys related to each of these symptoms. As the muscle is going to sustain this contraction, as we talked about, our ATP is going to be quickly depleted. So our body switches into an anaerobic process, which ends in making lactic acid. And the body does this because instead of waiting around for more oxygen, if you remember from physiology with the process of making ATP, if you have oxygen present, the cell does aerobic respiration where it goes into what's called the electron transport chain. And it makes different literature varies on this, but another 28 to 32 ATP. Well, the molecule that's waiting to go into this electron transport chain, if there's no oxygen present, it switches into a different form called anaerobic metabolism. And it forms lactic acid to make only about two more ATP. So it, it doesn't produce near the amount of ATP that we want but it's better than sitting around doing nothing, waiting for oxygen to occur. And as a result, this lactic acid will produce a metabolic acidosis in the patient, which is not good because we're also adding into the effect of the elevated carbon dioxide level, which will be a respiratory acidosis. So we have a acidosis picture here that is caused by both respiratory and metabolic. And obviously that's not good for the patient. So one of the things that we can do when we notice this, and we'll get into treatment here in a second, but you're going to really increase your minute ventilation to try to decrease your carbon dioxide level while also giving 100% FiO2 to get as much oxygen in these tissues as we can. Additionally, you're going to have a breakdown of the cell membrane. And if you remember from our previous episode talking about muscular dystrophy, you're going to have holes that develop. And when they develop, you're going to have potassium leaking out of the cell, which will cause hyperkalemia. You're going to have calcium continue to rush into the cell, which completely adds to the problem that we already have with calcium being inside the cell. And then you're going to have internal proteins such as myoglobin being released out into the bloodstream as well, which can cause some kidney injury. So that's why you start to have these symptoms that occur, such as the acidotic picture, the increased carbon dioxide picture, the increased oxygen consumption picture, it's all as a result of this increased contraction from calcium being in the cell. We hope you are enjoying this episode of the Student Nurse Anesthesia Podcast. For more episodes, audible care plans, and other bonus content, go to patreon.com, search Student Nurse Anesthesia Podcast, and become a member. Once a member, you will have access to Student Nurse Anesthesia Podcast Premium, which includes all of our content ad-free right here on Apple Podcasts. Perfect. So the next thing we should think about is what causes this. 
So unfortunately, what causes this are the things that we're going to be giving. And so often, if this is the first time a patient is having a procedure and getting these types of medications, you won't know unless there is family history. Again, this is an inherited trait with a problem with their iodine receptor. So the inhaled general anesthetics, your halogenated anesthetics are going to potentially cause malignant hyperthermia. Also, your depolarizing muscle relaxers, so succinylcholine, can also cause this to happen. So this is why it's really important to ask the patient if they've had any previous history with anesthetic agents or if anybody in their family has had issues with uh, anesthetic agents in the past. So again, with these patients, you want to ensure that we're not going to give any residual volatile anesthetics from the previous surgery. So this will include completely removing the vaporizers from the machine, using fresh gas flow for at least 30 minutes to clear out the machine, switching out our canisters, doing anything you can do to limit the chances of there being residual halogenated anesthetics in our machine for these patients. In terms of moving into treatment, obviously, if you suspect that malignant hyperthermia is going on based on the symptoms that we talked about already, you want to stop the triggering agent. In this case would be stopping your halogenated anesthesia or trying to reverse the succinylcholine if you've given a depolarizing agent. So the next thing you want to do is make sure you're ventilating the patient. As Cole discussed earlier, these patients are going to be in anaerobic metabolism. So it's important to immediately give them 100% oxygen and try to oxygenate them the best we can. The next thing that you'll want to give is dantrolene. So this is the hallmark. Anybody ask you what you do with malignant hyperthermia? Dantrolene. Dantrolene is the antidote that you need to give to treat malignant hyperthermia. So while all these other things are important, while you want to oxygenate them, and we'll get into some other therapies that you'll want to do alongside of this, dantrolene is going to be the main thing that you want to remember. So dantrolene will inhibit calcium from being released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum. It does this by binding to the ryanidine receptor. So think back to how we discussed very beginning, how this problem even originates is the ryanidine receptor not closing and calcium just having a massive efflux from the sarcoplasmic reticulum. So dantrolene is going to bind to that receptor and prevent additional calcium from leaving, which will allow for your calcium ATPase pump to start removing it from inside the cell, putting it back into the sarcoplasmic reticulum because there's never been an issue with that pump. That's always been working throughout this whole process. It's just that we have had, like Cole, you mentioned, you've had a hole in the bottom of the bucket you're trying to refill with this calcium. So that will cause the calcium then to be removed and put back into the sarcoplasmic reticulum. Awesome. Uh, Another thing we want to do is give bicarb to treat the acidosis that we talked about. And then we also want to treat the hyperkalemia. So we can do our insulin glucose therapy. Again, we can hyperventilate the patient, give medications such as calcium chloride, if we're especially worried about uh, cardiac toxicity here. Anything you can do to bring that potassium level back down. You can give antiarrhythmia medications as well, just to prevent the patient from having that cardiotoxic switch into an arrhythmia. And we want to protect their kidneys. We do this by giving Lasix or Manitol. And the reason is we want to ensure that we're having appropriate urine output because of that increase in myoglobin, we don't want to have renal injury occur because of this. So these are just a lot of other things, as Tanner said, to do on top of the dantrolene. But if you're going to do one thing, and one thing only, make sure you get that dantrolene into the patient. The last thing we want to talk about is differential diagnosis. 
the case will not continue if this is what's happening with your patient. So probably should be pretty sure that this is actually what's happening with your patient. You don't want to obviously mess around and uh, take too much time and uh, not treat it. But you also want to be thinking about, well, what are other things that could look very similar to this? And I could just be jumping to the malignant hypothermia diagnosis. So what are things that can look very similar to this? Uh, Well, think about you have your sepsis picture. So that's going to cause an acidotic picture, an increase in your end tidal CO2, tachycardia, skipnia, all those types of things. Also, thyroid storm would look very similar to this. If you had a pheochirosotoma, that would, again, be something that you need to rule out. And another one that you'll want to keep on your radar is neuroleptic malignant syndrome. So also make sure that you are considering that as well. Hope this was helpful. This is just a brief recap of malignant hyperthermia how to identify it, what you'll typically see with its presentation, and then lastly, what we do to treat it.